This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emeris, CPA with Parmelis & Associates. It's hard to believe, but by the time that this episode comes out, we will be into December. As the year comes to a close, I want to go through some things that you should be doing or be aware of to prepare for the end of year taxes. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Don't just imagine how much profit you can make on every part. Tap into the Parts Gross Profit Optimizer and watch your profits grow. Better yet, its algorithm does the work so your brain doesn't have to. GetShopware.com At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed program, their unique done-for-you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. A number of these things we've kind of gone through throughout this year, but you know, I feel like there's a great time to do some quick reminders here, and hopefully you've remembered all of these things, but I bet you there might be a tip or two of stuff that you thought of, but thought about that back in June and July, and maybe slipped your mind. So wanted to give you guys at least a month here, so you should have plenty of time to make sure that we're doing all the right things, so that not only can we make sure we maximize our deductions here, we do it in a way that doesn't put unneeded stress on you and put you in kind of a time crunch where your options are limited. So the first one, and you guys probably know what I'm going to talk about, the best tax deduction out there, in my opinion, is funding retirement accounts. And specifically, this first one we're going to talk about is company retirement plans. I always advocate if you have the cash to do so, max them out. And the reason why this is important to talk about before the end of the year is there's annual limitations. The two most popular ones that we see for a business are going to be the simple IRA and the 401k. Can't have both of those. It's an either or type situation. So let's start with a simple IRA first. Just like a 401k, there's two pieces of this. There's the employee contribution side of it, what you actually defer on your paycheck, and the company match. The company match does not need to be funded by the end of the year, but that's a small piece of this. The employee contribution side does need to be done before the end of the year. So the limitations on it uh, for this year are $14,000 if you're under 50 and $17,000 if you're over 50 um, for a simple IRA. Let me clarify that. So it's 50 and older, 17,000. When I said that, I kind of thought about that. I was like, wait, what happens if you're 50? Does nothing happen? But no, under 50, you get 14,000. 50 or older, you get 17,000. That is for a simple IRA, and that's for the employee side. So if you want to max this out this year and you're sitting here looking at it and you've only done $8,000, you have a little bit of room to go before the end of the year. Now, 401k, the same exact idea. You need to make sure that those contributions are put through payroll in RAND before the end of the year, but the income limitations are higher. So for 401k, if you're under 50, it's going to be 20500 And if you're 50 or older, that maximum goes up to 27,000. So if it's just you working in the business, there was only one of these. Now, if you and your spouse both work in the business, you can essentially double these or look at this. This is what each of you can contribute. If you have the money to do so, I can't stress this enough. Great, great, great tax idea for most people out there and really recommend doing that um, and getting the deduction on it. Because like I said, Let's say that we do 20 this year and we could do the full 27. I can't catch up on that next year. Whatever we don't hit does not roll until next year. We're still going to be limited by the same numbers. Now, keep in mind here, nothing you really need to worry about right now, but probably early next year, 
We'll talk about some of the updates for 2023. All of these limitations are going up next year. So we'll get a couple extra thousand dollars that we can put into it for the 2023 year. But hey, let's finish 2022 before we start worrying about that stuff right now. What to do here? You know, a couple things, a couple kind of practical tips is first and foremost, do not overfund these, right? Do not say, well, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to be there. I'm going to put an extra couple thousand dollars in just to make sure that I hit it. Um, It's not like you're going to go to jail, not like you're going to get in trouble on it, but it causes kind of a huge mess. You have to take the stuff back out. Sometimes you actually have to amend your payroll because you've deducted too much during the current year. So don't do it. You know, if you want to go right up to the dollar, do the math on it or talk to your retirement advisor. They should be able to give you an exact figure of how much you're short. We don't want to go over that even a penny. Now, if you're going to be short on this, right, if you're looking here right now and you have a simple IRA, you're 40 years old and you've put $7,000 into it, we still have $7,000 that we can do by the end of the year. Now, if your payroll is going to be enough to cover that in the next month, then great, run it through, increase your deductions on it so that you can fund all of this. But a lot of my clients don't take that much in payroll, right? They're trying to maximize their payroll tax benefits, match the tax treatment on this. And so if they're really short on their retirement, they don't actually have enough payroll to be able to do this in what we'll call like a conventional way before the end of the year. But here's a little tip for you if you're going to be short. What a lot of my clients do is if they're going to be short, and some of this is by design, right? Some of my clients say, I'm not going to plan to max it out. I'll put a decent chunk in and then kind of look at this in the fourth quarter and max it out if we have the money or have the profit to kind of dictate this. So let's say that you are going to be about $7,000 short. It's pretty straightforward to be able to kind of hit that max without doing any sort of crazy math. Um, It does not need to be a regular payroll schedule. You could say, hey, you know what? I'm going to run payroll this week, whether it's the first week of December or the last week of December. Now, make sure it falls in this year, but as long as you do this by before the end of the year, you are all set. So all you got to do is you got to just run yourself a bonus check. And so what that bonus check is going to look like is you're going to put probably about $7,500, $7,600 on your bonus check, and you're going to contribute it all to your retirement account, whether it's a simple IRA or 401k. So you're going to deduct all of that out. Now, the reason of why you can't do the exact dollar figure on this is you should be able to set it up with no withholding because it's not really going to have any taxes associated with it because all of it's going to a pre-tax deduction, but you will have to pay payroll taxes on it. So all you need to do is kind of mess around with your payroll a little bit is, you know, put a gross amount in there and make sure that you have enough to be able to, you know, pay a little bit in payroll tax, but also have enough money left over to hit that max, right? So in a perfect world, we got 7500 going in gross wages, 500 bucks goes out to payroll taxes. We're left with 7 grand. We put all that to our simple IRA. We're done. We're maxed out and we can move on and focus on next year. Now, last thing I want to mention on this one is if you're sitting here and you say, "Man, you know, I've only put 2 or 3 grand in. I know I have another, you know, 11 or even 15 depending on what I have. I just don't have the cash for it right now." You know, maybe it wasn't the best year, maybe you kind of spent it along the way. What I would be doing is saying, hey, you know what? We probably can't do it this year. Should never put yourself into a cash crunch by funding a retirement account. Because as we talked about before, that retirement contribution is a one-way street. You do not want to overextend yourself with retirement because if you end up having to take that back out, we not only pay tax on it, but we pay penalties if you take it out before full retirement age. So if you are in a situation where you you don't really have the funds to be able to do this, then set a goal for next year. 
right? Hey, you know what? I kind of said that I would have money left over in 2022 to max this out. And I just did it because life got in the way. All right, then kind of be mindful of that and get on the right path for 2023, right? Instead of saving it all to the end of the year, be putting a thousand or 1200 bucks into every single month. So you're already there before you get to the end of the year. You know, this is something that I see happen too often. A lot of times stuff specifically related to owner benefits for shops that don't have the profitability that they might like are the last things you get paid and then something to not get paid at all. So, you know, all of my clients have been able to have a successful career and transition smoothly into retirement. Always the one that are thinking about retirement when they're younger versus sitting here and they're 60 years old and saying, man, I don't have any money set aside. So put this stuff in there, max it out. Do everything that you can within reason uh, to get all this, you know, kind of to the max of where it needs to be. So that was all kind of on the company retirement side. So let's say that you're listening to this and maybe you don't even own your own business. You're an employee and you just love hearing my voice. Or maybe you just don't have a company sponsored retirement plan, just building your way up to it and you're just not quite there yet. So if you don't have a company retirement plan, you can do um, what's called a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Again, a traditional IRA is going to be a tax deduction. A Roth IRA is not going to be a tax deduction. So we're talking about tax tips. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the traditional side. So traditional Roth or traditional IRA contributions, maximum per year is 6000 if you're under 50, 7000 if you're 50 or older. Now, if you put $7,000 into a traditional IRA, it's going to be a 100% tax deduction for you on your personal tax return. This does not get done through payroll, does not get done through your business, strictly a personal transaction. Now you can pay for this stuff through your business. It would just get treated as a distribution, but make sure that your accountant knows if you're doing this stuff. You know, some of these get reported, but if you're funding this after the year, there's not gonna be paperwork that's gonna tell your accountant that you made this. Now, it's something that we always ask our clients and most accounts are gonna be asking these questions, especially if you've done this in the past, but this is just another big reminder that we are not mind readers, don't know what you did. Anything that you might think or might not even think is relevant to your taxes, share it with your accountant so they can make sure that they pick these things up. So the difference on a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, since these are personal retirement plans and not company sponsored, is the timing is a little bit different. So simple IRA and 401k have to be funded and have to be run through payroll by the end of the year. Traditional IRA or Roth IRA do not have to be funded by the end of the year. You actually have until April to fund those. Um, and what that looks like is, say we're in March of 2023, you can make a $6,000 contribution and you just tell them, hey, that was actually for 2022 and they backdate that or post it onto your account. What a lot of my clients like to do, which is a really good idea, is wait until the taxes are all but done and kind of see where the year finished out. Right. So let's say we're going down through, we're doing a client's return. Income was down. We were able to do a lot of write-offs and income was, you know, pretty much at a bare minimum, already in a situation where they're getting a great refund and maybe the tax rate was a little bit lower. In a situation like that, you know, we'll go back and talk to our clients and saying, Hey, you've done a, you know, traditional IRA contribution in the past. Do you want to do one this year? And usually what they'll ask us is, well, how much bang for my buck am I going to get? And let's say they're in a really low tax bracket. And I say, well, you can put in six grand, but it's only going to save you 600 bucks. Still recommend usually doing these things, but in a situation like that, it might not be the best investment because you don't get a whole lot of return on your investment because the tax rate's so low. Or maybe it's a time to do a Roth contribution since the tax rates are already very low. 
Again, this stuff is back and forth conversation. I cannot tell what's going to make sense for you. Talk to your accountant, talk to your CPA on this stuff. But big thing that I want you to take out of this is we have a little bit more time. So if maybe you're catching up on this late and it's already in 2023, sorry, it's too late for the simple IRA in the 401k for 2022, but you still have plenty of time for a traditional or Roth contribution for this year. As much as you love the shop routine that you have now, I'll tell you that switching to a cloud-based shop management system will pay off in more ways than you can imagine. Not only will you let go of bad habits that are costing you money, you'll free up more time for your techs to fix more cars. Your quotes will be quicker and more accurate, and you'll make more money per part than you ever did before. We all know that time is money. When you streamline your day, you waste less time on repetitive brain drains. Start fresh by going to your favorite browser and looking up GetShopware.com. The orange Book a Demo button will set you on a journey for more profit and less stress. You'll never look back. Check it out at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed coaching and marketing program, their unique industry-proven marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, Repair Shop of Tomorrow uses predictive marketing that focuses on bringing the right cars into your shop. They utilize social media, email marketing, direct mail, personalized newsletters, and Napa value-added programs to create quality car count for their clients. This same branded message, same branded content marketing approach is bringing in the right customers and bringing them in more often, which is helping their clients add more net profit to the bottom line. If your current marketing strategy isn't yielding the results you would like, please reach out to Repair Shop tomorrow to get your marketing efforts dialed in. For more information about their program, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Just like traditional or Roth contributions, HSA contributions also have an extended deadline as well. HSA contributions do not have to be done before the end of the year. Again, you have until April to fund these. For those of you that don't know what an HSA is, an HSA is a health savings account. So the way that it works is very similar to a traditional IRA is you get a deduction for whatever you fund into your HSA for the plan year or whatever you code to the previous plan year. So the limitations on this are $3,650 for individuals and $7,300 for family. Meaning if you have you know a family group plan run through your business, you can put $7,300 away into your HSA and get a tax deduction for it. Now, big thing here is you gotta make sure that you have an HSA eligible plan. Generally, the only plans that are HSA eligible are what we call high deductible health plans. Now, realistically, high deductible health plans are extremely common in small businesses, so I imagine that you probably have one. If you're not sure, talk to your insurance person. They should be able to tell you if you do or if you don't. Now, an HSA is something that really I don't think gets enough credit on it because a lot of people don't think about it, right? A lot of people just kind of ignore that. It's not a super common thing. It doesn't apply to everyone, but if you have an available fund or if you have an available plan that is eligible to do one, and you think you're going to have some of these expenses or you just want to put some money away, it's a really good idea. The beauty of an HSA is if you fund stuff into this, it does not really ever expire. So maybe you don't have expenses this year, maybe you don't have expenses next year, but in three years you have to go and get back surgery and now you're paying $15,000 out of pocket. Wouldn't that be nice if you already had this money set aside? Another thing to think about is don't be short-sighted about an HSA. 
HSA can be used for a broad range of things, not limited to, but including uh, saunas, hot tubs, a lot of different things, as long as you kind of meet some certain guidelines on this. So if you're kind of unsure if an HSA is for you, go and Google, hey, what can I use an HSA for? And it might surprise you because it's a pretty extensive list. Another thing about it is, yeah, let's say that you're listening to this, you're single, you're 30 years old, you got no kids, nothing like that. Then yeah, you're out of pocket and medical expenses right now are probably relatively low. But as life goes on, everyone is going to age and generally with age comes some health issues or at least some health expenses. Maybe you have to have dental surgery. Maybe you have to have that knee replacement. Maybe you need, you know, some more expensive medication or prescription and stuff like that. Take a look at how expensive their healthcare is already right now. Imagine how expensive it's going to be in 20 years. The thing about an HSA is, yes, when you put money in there, you can only take it out for health-related cost. So make sure that you don't go too aggressive on this and give your, and make yourself poor just to match out this HSA. You know, this one is... I guess I'm not going to say it's anywhere similar to a retirement because everyone needs to retire. Hey, there's probably a lot of people that aren't going to spend thirty, fifty thousand $50,000 in their lifetime on health. I mean, it's a great problem to have, probably unrealistic for most people, but HSA is probably something that is going to make a lot more sense than others. Just think about how much money that you're already spending on you know, your healthcare cost. And if you do have an HSA eligible plan, you need to at least put that much away. That way that all of those payments or all of those expenses are ultimately going to be pre-tax expenses. Now, the only other thing that I wanted to mention here that goes right along with HSAs is an FSA. So an FSA is a flexible spending account. The difference between a flexible spending account or an FSA and an HSA is really one big thing here. So the big difference between an FSA and an HSA is an FSA is use it or lose it. Meaning that if you put money into it during the year and you do not put through expenses or claim these expenses by the end of the year, you forfeit that money. Now, depending on who you do this through, some people have a grace period. Generally, it's usually about two and a half months from the end of the year or you know the middle of February or March. But double check on that one just to make sure because there is nothing worse than, hey, I use my hard-earned money I contributed to an FSA and I either didn't use the money or didn't put through these claims in time to use this. Now, an FSA where it's different than an HSA is, again, like I said, it's use it or lose it. So be very careful if you have an FSA. If anything, you always want to err on the lower side than the higher side because, again, we just don't want to lose this money. Moving over to the business side of things, you know, a couple of different things we want to talk about from a timing perspective. First one I want to talk about is equipment or large leasehold improvements or large capital projects. The IRS says in order to take an asset for deduction or depreciation on it, not only does that need to be purchased, but it needs to be in service by the end of the year. Now, what do I mean by that? So I'll give you an example. Let's say that I went out and I bought a truck, right? I went out and I bought a new uh, GMC 2500. Signed all the paperwork on it. We're good to go. I paid for the money up front, you know, $85,000. Here you go. If I do not take delivery of that truck until January 5th, technically for this year, that is not a deduction because while I did pay for it, it is truly mine. It is not quote unquote in service until the date that I actually take delivery of it. Now, this in service date for most things is a very kind of gray area. 
Because let's be realistic. If anyone was to ever look into this, you know, in two, three years down the road, it's going to be almost impossible for them to tell the exact date that you placed this thing into service or actually took delivery of it. In absence of anything else, we always just want to make sure that the paperwork is signed, dated, and hopefully invoiced by the end of the year. If you have a signed contract, signed paperwork, or even a canceled check that is done in the calendar year, more likely than not, you are never going to have an issue and probably won't have any more questions that come about this. Now, whether you pay cash or finance, it is all treated like you paid cash for tax purposes. What I mean by that is, obviously, if you go out and buy a $10,000 new AC machine and you pay cash this year, it's going to be a deduction for this year. Now, what a lot of people don't get is, let's say that at the end of the year, Napa's running a special and they say, hey, if you sign up, it's you know six months, same as cash, and we're going to give you this AC machine. While we have not paid them a single cent in 2022, we signed uh, you know, for essentially a short-term loan or on the hook for the remaining payments over the next six months. If we want to, we can take that entire cost this year, again, just by the fact that we have that paperwork dated this year. Uh, leases or lease-to-own type situation are treated almost exactly the same. Yes, you signed up for that Hunter Alignment machine for 60 payments um, over the next five years. But the day that you sign that paperwork, it's treated like you had bought the entire thing. And yes, the payments are going to continue for the next five years, but we can take the full deduction this year if we would like. The biggest thing that, you know, and a lot of these that I talk about, I'm giving you advice and then I'm also giving you advice on how to help me do my job as well. One of the things that a lot of people forget about is some people do this before the end of the year, right? They go out and they buy equipment or they sign a lease and they don't tell us about it. Right. And so if we don't see any payments going out of there for December, we're not even looking for a missing statement because you don't even um, actually owe anything right now. And sometimes, depending on when you sign that paperwork, the first payment might not even come out till February. So you need to make sure that your accountant knows that you bought this stuff and send over that purchase contract or send over that lease agreement so that we can book it this year and make sure that we get the expense. All right. Moving on to another thing in the business. End of year bonuses or really payroll in general. So the way that payroll goes is the date that the payroll is deposited or the date of the employee paycheck, not the day that you run payroll. And so what I mean by that is this. So let's say right now is December 1st and we go ahead and we run our payroll and that's going to come out on Monday. So that Monday would be December 5th. So even though that I ran that payroll today on December 1st, until it actually hits the employee's bank accounts or those payroll checks get written, it's not going to matter. It's only going to matter on that day that they get paid. So for this case, December 1st is nowhere. It doesn't even show up. December 5th is going to be the day that we're going to have to take that expense. So keep that in mind this year because the end of the year falls on a Saturday. The 31st of December is a Saturday. Now, the good thing is, you know, the 31st is a Saturday, you know, direct deposit and stuff like that still generally works. Sometimes they'll pay the previous date on Friday, depending on who your bank is. But make sure that that payroll is going to get run and going to hit the books this year. Depending on who you do for payroll, you usually need a day or two lean time. So I would not be running payroll if you wanted to hit for before the end of the year, uh, before, let's say, Tuesday the 27th or at the latest Wednesday the 28th. You know, that payroll is not only important if you're running bonuses for the guys or if you're funding retirement accounts, make sure that that date falls this year. 
Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking, Hunt, why does it matter? I'm on an accrual basis. I can accrue the payroll back to it. You're exactly right. You know, some of this is an oversimplification on this, but some people listening are also not done, not set up as accrual or they haven't done so in the past. If in doubt, I always like to be safe and always try and make it happen this year. If you have a situation for whatever reason where you have a payroll or larger payroll that's going to hit the first week of January, talk to your account, talk to your CPA and say, hey, am I allowed to accrue this? Am I allowed to pull these expenses back to the previous year? If so, that's pretty easy to do. If not, they'll kind of educate you on why you can or cannot do this or maybe what you can change in the future to allow yourself some more flexibility to be able to do things like that. So last thing on the bonuses is do not pay a bonus to yourself if you're the owner of a company and you are not a C corporation, right? So if you are anything other than a C corporation, main partnership, S corp, sole proprietor, do not run yourself a bonus check. The reason is, is yes, it's going to be a deduction on your business, but correspondingly, it's going to be income to you personally, right? You take a $100,000 bonus, you're not going to save yourself any tax money because you're going to have the same $100,000 as income on your personal taxes. However, what you're left over with is about 15% in payroll tax that you're paying on that money. So we actually not only didn't save any tax money, it costed us money after we ended up paying that payroll tax. So if you're not a C corporation, do not, do not, do not take an officer bonus for most people here. Now, if you are a C corporation, meaning that you're a corporation where the business actually pays the tax, it doesn't flow through to you personally. And if your bonuses are extremely common, but if you're a C corporation, you've probably been a C corporation for a number of years and you've done this stuff in the past. If you do not know if you're a C corporation, S corporation, take a look at your last tax return that you filed. Top left-hand corner, if it says 1120, you are a C corporation. If it says 1120S, you're an S corporation. And if you can't find your tax return, you still don't understand, pick up the phone, shoot your accountant an email. She'll be able to give you that answer very quickly. Last thing here, last couple things I wanted to hit on is stuff that we are going to be asking our clients here in the next couple weeks. Some of my clients have already been a little bit more proactive about this and said, hey, Hunt, what can I start gathering for you guys so that we're ready to close the end of the year and we don't have any sort of delay? I love that. Anytime that you're proactive, anytime that we can get this stuff done early, it's really going to benefit you. So the first thing, and for some of you, it's very easy. For others, it's going to be a little bit more of a project, is we want to make sure that we're going to have a good end of your inventory figure. Now, your inventory figures work for my clients is really one of three different ways. The first one, the most common one, is most of my clients do not carry that much in inventory, and a lot of them don't even really track it throughout the year. So maybe we have $2,500 on the books for inventory, and we call and we say, hey, how much do you have in inventory at the end of the year? And they always say, well, how much did I have last year? $2,500. Uh, probably about the same this year, right? So we changed it up or down a little bit. But realistically, they just don't stock that much stuff. There's not a whole lot of shifting to it, and it's a really low amount. The other end of the spectrum is people say, well, how much does my inventory need to be, Hunt, so I don't pay any tax? And again, I know the game that we're trying to play here. You know, sometimes we can kind of work through those situations. Other times I say, hey, you know what we're going to do here? Go and count your inventory on it and come back with a number. If we need to adjust it, so be it. If I need to go recount it again, great. But go and get me a number on it, a realistic number. Now, I always tell people the lower, the better. Why the lower, the better? Because if we buy something and it's in our inventory, we do not get a deduction for that. 
Okay, so if I buy a $5,000 engine and I have that sitting in inventory, I have no deduction. However, if it's not in inventory, then by default, that means that it was sold and that's a cost of goods sold. That allows us to deduct it, right? So more in inventory, no deduction, less in inventory, we get the deduction for it. So where this is uh, very important is some of you listening out there actually do have a lot of inventory and some of you have very old inventory. So what I tell is obviously you need to go down and get exact figures on what you really do have. And if you have something that's dead inventory, then get rid of it. Now, technically, you're supposed to actually physically get rid of it. But if you have five valve covers from a 1962 Mercedes that you know at some point you're going to probably sell, but maybe not for another decade, not sure if I'm going to keep that on my inventory list or just kind of get rid of that stuff. Now, if it ever comes around and you end up needing that, then great. But if we can get away with not having inventory, we will. Now, another thing to think about here and another balance that we always want to get from our clients for the end of the year is accounts receivable. So accounts receivable is money that people owe to you, right? This is customers that you know have completed the work. Maybe they've picked up their car. Maybe they haven't picked up their car. Either way, they have an outstanding ticket that they owe you money for. So the way that most people are taxed is, hey, when that ticket is closed out and sent to accounts receivable, it's recognized as income. So if you have an account in accounts receivable that is never going to pay you, we need to write that off. The reason is if we do not write off that accounts receivable, we're going to end up paying tax on money that we have not got and maybe never will get. So let's say we have a $2,000 invoice. I close that out back in October It's going to hit my profit and loss statement. I'm going to show that I made $2,000 in income on that specific job. Now, let's say in October, this person calls us up and says, hey, you know what? Forget you. I'm never going to pay you. You know, you can come take it out of my cold, dead hands. I'm never going to give you a single cent. At that point, we know, hey, this person's probably not ever going to pay us and we need to write it off. So what we do to write that off is we expense it off to bad debt, make an adjustment. I'm not going to kind of make any generalizations on how specifically you write off because it really depends on what shop management software you use, how you're recording this stuff, if it's already in QuickBooks. But what you want to do is at the very least, get an inventory or get an accounts receivable report at the end of the year or very close to the end of the year, but ideally 1231 and just print it out. Print it out and go down and cross off any things that you want to get rid of. Hey, this person's not going to pay. I don't think that person's going to pay. Let's get rid of that person too. Send it to your accountant. If you send your accountant that report, we can make it work. We can make the adjustment so that you don't pay tax on it. Now, another thing to think about is obviously if someone told you specifically, I'm never going to pay you, you can kick rocks. Or if you're taking someone to court, it's very clear that they have no intention of ever paying you and we're going to write it off. If you have someone where you're not sure if they're going to pay you, right? Uh, You know what? Mrs. Smith used to be pretty decent, but she's owed me money for a couple months. I haven't really heard from her. I'm not sure if she's going to come back and pay us or not. I'm going to write that off. You know, if there's a good chance that I'm not going to collect on this money, I'm going to write it off so I'm not paying tax on money that I have not received and might never receive. The reason why this is okay is if I have Mrs. Smith's account that I write off for 1200 bucks, And magically in March, she shows back up and says, oh my God, I completely forgot I never paid you. I'm so sorry. Here's the $1,200 that I owed you. All that happens is we've reported an income next year when we actually receive it, right? So we'd get the deduction this year, you know, pick up and pay the income tax on it next year. It's all fine. Another thing that I've actually been questioned about a couple of times is they say, Hunt, 
if I write something off, am I actually still allowed to go collect those accounts? You know, whether it's, you know, letters or statements or court proceedings, or since I've written that off, do am I even allowed to go and try and collect on that? The answer is no. Of course, you can still go and collect on this stuff. And I recommend that you do so. If you have three or four accounts that you wrote off this year, we're solely doing that for tax purposes. But I'm still going to try. And if I have a good case on it and the money is worth it, I'm still going to take that person to court, You know, get a lien on the vehicle or something to try and recoup my losses. So just because you wrote this off for tax purposes does not mean that stops your collections, actions, or abilities. So another thing on here is kind of the opposite of accounts receivable, which is accounts payable. And accounts payables are your vendor bills, right? Your end of month uh, NAPA statement, your end of month world pack statement, anything that you kind of have turns with or you accrue. Some people use the accounts payable feature of entering bills and payable bills. Some people do not use this feature of it. But even if you don't generally use the accounts payable feature, December is a great time to start using it or at least post some bigger expenses down through there. What I mean by it is this. If you already use accounts payable, then you're very clear with how this works. But what happens is whatever day you put that bill in is what day it shows up on a profit and loss and what day you get the expense. So let's say that you get a end of year world pack statement for December. So you get a statement that you owe them $15,000 as of December 31st. If you do not enter that bill into QuickBooks and you just turn around and you pay that the second week of January, that is now a January expense. Nothing in this year. It's all going to be in January. However, if you just took the extra step and said, you know what, I'm going to enter a bill into QuickBooks for December 31st, 2022, parts cost of goods sold for $15,000, we now have that $15,000 expense booked this year. Even if I end up paying that in January, February, as long as that bill is dated this year, we're still going to get that expense. So if you've been doing this all year and you always post your bills in there, then the biggest reminder for you is to make sure that you get all of them in there for the end of the year so you can pick up on those deductions. And for those of you that don't generally put in bills throughout the year because it all kind of works out, you know, you pay it the following month, I would get in the habit of at least doing it for December to make sure that we pick up those expenses this year. Now, the last thing here that I wanted to talk about, and again, these are all things that we are not only asking our clients for, these are all things that we're kind of going down and reconciling for our clients. Um, you know, when we are doing end of year, end of year December reviews take us longer than any other month in the year. The reason is, is because during the year, we always want to make sure the financials are accurate, but a little bit of rounding here or there, things that are going to work themselves out aren't a huge concern in say July or August. However, December is the most important month for most people because if it doesn't hit now, we're not going to get any tax deduction or going to end up paying tax on it. So we are double and triple checking to make sure that all balances are as tight, as low as possible, and as accurate as we can possibly get it. So one big thing that we always check for is loan interest, right? You're paying loan interest on a mortgage, you're paying loan interest on a car loan, equipment loan, line of credit, whatever it might be. So if you're already posting the interest as you go along for the year, then great. You're already ahead of the curve. If you have not posted any of your interest during the year, then go ahead and do so now. And if you don't know how to do it, that's fine. Just make sure that you get the December 31st statement, right? If you have a car loan that comes out on December 6th, you can get that statement on December 7th and you're going to have what would be your end of year balance. That's great. But if you can get all of this stuff together so that after you've reconciled for December, 
you can turn around and give your account and say, hey, here's my end of your inventory figure. Here's my AR figure. Here's my loan interest figure. All the bills are entered in there. It's going to allow us to be able to wrap up this year and get this thing closed out as fast as we possibly can to start working on the taxes and see where we stand and go from there. However, if you kind of delay on doing all of these things and you are now in February, oh, I need to get this statement. I need to get that statement on it. We're just getting farther and farther behind the eight ball. Now, as a general rule of thumb, you know, in our firm, we do not like to file for extensions for anyone. Realistically, it's not possible to get everyone filed by the deadline because some people just can't file, right? Some people have no intention of April 15th, right? They're already shooting for the fall. I'm never going to get it done, Hunt. Just go ahead and extend me. Other people, we have statements and stuff that we're waiting on or investments that we don't have K-1s for. But in a perfect world, we want to be able to get this stuff going as soon as we possibly can. So some planning and preparation now will make your life less stressful trying to gather all this in January, but also puts you ahead of the game. So as a rule of thumb, I always tell my clients to get their information to us as soon as possible. And that does not mean that you have to have 100% of your information. Now, don't piecemeal me stuff, right? Don't send me, here's one piece of tax documents. Here's another one. And slowly trickle this in over the course of a couple of weeks or months. But what happens a lot of times is people are waiting for like one last brokerage statement. And a lot of times it's like meaningless. It's so small. But they're waiting to have 100% of anything before they send it in to us. I always tell them, hey, if you got 95% of the information, send it to us. We'll get the entire return pretty much done. And if all we need to do is plug in an interest figure or a dividend figure, that's going to be very easy. But we're going to be able to already start strategizing, making changes, right? It makes our life easier, which makes your life easier and allows us for plenty of time to make changes, adjustments and have discussions of not only what we did last year, but we also then, this is the first time we start tax planning for the upcoming year. What are your goals? What are you trying to do? What is the business going to look like? And how can we make sure that we stay ahead of this stuff? You know my philosophy on tax planning. You know my philosophy on financials as well. We always want to be forward-thinking. We always want to be forward-looking. We don't want to be stuck in the past, right? And so this is why you know we got one last month. We got one month left in this year. Let's make sure that we close it out strong and let's make sure that we're getting organized so that we can wrap this year up and automatically turn around, start focusing on 2023. So I hope this was helpful. I hope this kind of jogged your memory on a couple of things that you might do, but please share this with friends, especially if they're self-employed and they're kind of coming to their end of year as well, but also be talking to your accountant. You know, a lot of my clients have been talking to in the past couple of days about some of these things. And, you know, a lot of these other things are things that we always automatically do for our clients, but I realize not all accounts operate the same way. So if you have specific questions about how this relates to you, always talk to a professional to make sure that you're getting good advice for your specific situation. If you have any more questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. So I want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. And you can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listing app. So thanks again for joining me on the Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.